The History of the World podcast, written and presented by Chris Hasler. Volume 1. The Prehistoric World. Episode 7. Neanderthals. Previously on the History of the World podcast, we have tracked the evolution of hominids. That is, all the animals that are linked to human ancestry since the divergence of the chimpanzee. And we have watched them evolve into something that, although we consider to be human, is not quite like a modern human yet. We have taken some time to look more closely at the technologies of these animals and how they entered the first stone age and subsequently learnt how to use fire for warmth and protection. We also look more closely at communication and what physical ability the animals had to speak. One of the fossils that has been vital to this study has been the Kibara Neanderthal and the Neanderthal is the subject of this week's podcast. I'm now going to take you to Gibraltar. Gibraltar is a small British overseas territory on the southern tip of the Iberian Peninsula of Europe. Gorham's Cave is an archaeological site in Gibraltar, which has been the home of a number of spear points, knives and scraping devices for at least the last 25 years thousand years until their discovery in the 20th century. Compared to other tool discoveries these specific tools have been described as belonging to the Mousterian culture. Mousterian cultured tools are primarily associated with Neanderthals. This means that Neanderthals may have been alive as recently as 25,000 years ago. The last time we spoke about the Iberian Peninsula was in the Homo erectus episode when we found that an animal similar to Homo erectus was discovered in modern Spain. It was alive around 1 million years ago and has been given the name Homo antecessor. So what happened between Homo antecessor and Gorham's cave? during that period of almost one million years. Homo heidelbergensis It is believed that there is a species of human that fits nicely into the gap between the erectus-like Homo antecessor and the Neanderthals, known as Homo neanderthalensis. In 2001, two Englishmen went exploring on the coast of East Anglia, in the east of Great Britain, and they found some remnants of flint that had been worked by human hands and dated to around 700,000 years ago, or 0.7 million years ago. This is the earliest known evidence of human occupation of the British Isles. The site is referred to as 
Pakefield. There is not much in terms of direct hominin fossils at Pakefield. In order to find out more about that, we need to move south on the Great British Island to Boxgrove in Sussex. Boxgrove is artefact rich and points to a period 500,000 or half a million years ago. The partial tibia of a male was discovered there which shows signs of being the lunch of an animal such as a wolf due to the gnaw marks at either end. Alongside some hominin teeth, these human remains have been determined to belong to a human called Homo heidelbergensis. Homo heidelbergensis was first identified in 1908 and are named after the town of Heidelberg, which sits on the river Neckar, which at the time was in the Grand Duchy of Baden, within the German Empire. Some have supposed that Homo heidelbergensis is a transitional species of human between Homo antecessor and Homo neanderthalensis, and the 700,000-year-old flint remnants at Pakefield are believed to have been made at the hands of a species that is transitional from Homo antecessor and Homo heidelbergensis. The finds at Boxgrove in Sussex, United Kingdom, occupied by Homo heidelbergensis from 500,000 years ago, are interesting. The antlers of deers had been modified to be used as soft hammers, something that wasn't evident previously. Not only this, but what was believed to be the remnants of wooden spears manufactured for hunting use were also recovered. Wooden spears, like antler tools, are also something that we have not discussed before, only briefly mentioned in our Lower Paleolithic Stone Tools podcast, which was episode 5. One of the most fascinating discoveries of wooden spears can be located at Schöningen within Lower Saxony, Germany. The Schöningen spears show evidence of very intelligent work. The spears are carefully selected, mainly from spruce wood, with particular attention to the natural hardness changes within the wood, dictating which part of the wood would be the spear's tip. The tip itself is tapered with skill, and the weight distribution of the spear is considered in order to give it a good degree of accuracy, if and when used like a javelin. These spears give us extremely good clues as to the advances in dexterity and cognitive ability of the hominins that use them. The spears are thought to be between 300,000 and 400,000 years old and the significance of this is that it may well predate the first Neanderthals in Europe. So these spears could have belonged to Homo heidelbergensis. So we should summarise what we know and believe about Homo heidelbergensis. It is possible that the one million year old Spanish fossils that we encountered in the Homo erectus episode that some refer to as Homo antecessor may actually belong to Homo heidelbergensis. It is also possible that the cookery site at Gesher Benot Yarkov in Israel from 0.8 million years ago that we encountered in the same episode could have been the work of Homo heidelbergensis. If Homo antecessor in Spain is indeed Homo heidelbergensis, 
then we can safely assume that the two British sites of Pakefield and Boxgrove from 0.7 and 0.5 million years ago were also occupied by Homo heidelbergensis. If we consider that Neanderthals had not yet fully evolved, then the wooden spear technology found at Boxgrove, England and Schöningen, Germany were also the work of Homo heidelbergensis. Homo heidelbergensis was predominantly European and was an advancement of Homo erectus in appearance and technology, taking a Schulian tool culture into its later stages and leading it towards the more modern Mousterian tool culture. Homo heidelbergensis was an expert hunter, using carefully manufactured tools to create weapons which could kill even the largest of animals. Some scientists believe that Homo heidelbergensis could actually be the common ancestor of Homo neanderthalensis and Homo sapiens. Homo stupidus. Yes, that's right. I did say Homo stupidus. I want to now take you back to two characters which we have already met in this podcast series. The first being the very famous English naturalist Charles Darwin, and the second being the determined Dutch paleoanthropologist Eugène Dubois. I just can't leave Dubois out of anything, I'm sorry. Dubois was born in 1858, so he was just a year old when Darwin published On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection. Dubois was well featured in our Homo erectus podcast as he was the man who made the first Homo erectus discovery but decided to do the most famous paleoanthropological sulk when his discovery was not received with all the adulation that he expected. One of the most influential people in Dubois' early life was the German naturalist Ernst Haeckel. Haeckel was born in Potsdam, Germany, in 1834. At the time, Potsdam was part of the Kingdom of Prussia, as the German Empire had not yet formed. Haeckel was successful academically and attained a doctorate in medicine while in his early 20s. Haeckel reportedly met with Darwin during the 1860s, and although he accepted Darwin as an expert in his field, Haeckel had his own distinct ideas about the evolution of species. It was in 1856 that a groundbreaking discovery was made near Dusseldorf in the Rhine province of Prussia. Two Italian workers were working at a limestone cave and discovered some fossilised bones. The fossils were handed to Professor Dr Johann Cole Fulhrott a male paleoanthropologist who immediately noticed that the skulls were human, but different. He described them as belonging to the tribe of the Flatheads, which still live in the American West. Of course, this was not the real case, and Fulrot showed them to fellow German paleoanthropologist called Hermann Schaffhausen, who supposed that they belonged to a representative of a native tribe who had inhabited Germany 
before the arrival of ancestors of modern humans. Now, modern humans at the time had already been given the name Homo sapiens, which roughly translates to wise man from Latin. So if it was true that this new human species was our extinct ancestor, then it would surely not be as wise. This is where Ernst Haeckel stepped in and proposed the name Homo stupidus to directly infer the lack of wisdom that was portrayed in the name of Homo sapiens. It was the Anglo-Irish geologist William King that ultimately created the name Homo neanderthalensis, named after the Neanderthal, which was the valley where the aforementioned 1856 discovery near Dusseldorf had originally been made. Homo neanderthalensis was the name that won out, and Homo stupidus was not favoured, and it was probably just as well, because the future discoveries of other prehistoric human species demonstrated that Homo neanderthalensis was indeed very intelligent by comparison. Pit of Bones During our Homo erectus podcast, and indeed during this podcast, we spoke of a 1.2 million year old hominin discovery in Spain. It is difficult to categorise the hominin that occupied this site, as there are arguments to call it Homo erectus, Homo antecessor, or Homo heidelbergensis. The site lies within the Atapuerca Mountains and was discovered following the construction of a railway line in the early 20th century. There are a number of levels to the sedimentary layers at this archaeological site, which gives us clues to many different time periods during the Paleolithic. Our story has very much now brought us into the most recent half a million years of our history. So what secrets do the Atapuerca Mountains contain relating to this period? One of the caves that has been excavated has been called Cima de los Huesos, which is Spanish for the Pit of the Bones. What is astonishing about the Pit of the Bones is the sheer number of hominin fossils that have been uncovered. It is reported that there have been several thousand human fossils discovered, including some almost complete skulls. One of the skulls shows signs of damage which would suggest violence between individuals. Dating the fossils has been tricky. Dates thrown around for the Cima de los Huesos period range from 300,000 to 600,000 years ago, but generally speaking a date around 430,000 years ago would probably not be far from the median. The sheer amount of bones coupled with the stone tool specifically manufactured out of red quartzite has led some scientists to suspect some mass ritual funeral of some kind. If this was the case, then this would represent the first instance of a human ritual when burying the dead. Maybe the human mind had developed a spiritual side to it by this time, questioning their own mortality and feeling compelled to do more than abandon a dead comrade or adversary to the mercy of the elements without significant ceremony. On the face of it, the date of the site would be too early for the Neanderthals, 
so that would suggest that Homo heidelbergensis was responsible. However, scientists have noted that the fossils show features that are characteristic of the Neanderthals. So could this represent one of the first genuine Neanderthal sites? The emergence of the Neanderthal. We now venture over to Italy for the first time in our podcast, specifically the Lazio region and the banks of the Anieni River. Two skulls were individually discovered in 1929 and 1935. The one thing that can be said about these skulls is that they are believed to belong to an early form of Neanderthal. So now we're talking about the real thing. One of the characteristic features of these skulls is the nasal cavity. It is a significantly adapted into that now famous large and wide nose that is iconic of the Neanderthal physical appearance. Many scientists agree that the large nose was essential to the morphology of the respiratory system of these humans, enabling them to humidify the cold air that was prevalent during Ice Age periods in Europe. Dating these Saccopastori skulls, as they are named, has been a question raised again in very recent years. Originally not thought to be much more than 100,000 years old, this dating has been revisited. A 2015 study made by the Italian Institute for Geophysics and Volcanology reports that the skulls actually date to nearer 250,000 years ago. This would put the skulls at around the same time that it is believed that Neanderthals had definitely fully evolved. Other early fossilised Neanderthals sites are quite scant. However, it is clearly Western Europe where the Neanderthal presence can be confidently placed. This now brings our chronological story towards 100,000 years ago, the height of Neanderthal presence. So let's explore what we know about Neanderthals and how we know it. Physicality. From the fossil records, we can determine that Homo neanderthalensis was all of the following. Large skulls with brain cases holding a brain almost as big as a modern human. The top of the head sat more deep than the high brain cases of modern humans and there was a significant brow ridge across the top of the eyes. Large teeth much more reminiscent of hominin species of the past and no prominence of the chin. Powerful and stocky bodies a little shorter in height than the average modern human being. Barrel chested and large hands and feet. If you like your men a little rough around the edges the Neanderthal could have been the man for you. The Neanderthals were quite dexterous and also rather stylish. Near the town of Krapina, in the north of Croatia, the talons of an eagle were discovered in a sandstone rock shelter that was evidently occupied by Neanderthals as early as 130,000 years ago. The eagle talons show clear signs of being worked in such a way that they were likely to have once been part of a piece of jewellery, such as a necklace or a bracelet. 
This is the first discussion we have had in our podcast about clothing or body decoration, but it is thought that this was a human tradition that could have existed for a long time, maybe as a means to demonstrate that individuals were connected to one tribe, or even that their tribe was a tribe to be respected if the decoration was made from something as daunting as the teeth of a shark. Mousterian Tool Culture This leads us nicely into the technological advances of the Neanderthal man. Previously, we have followed the tool culture of prehistoric humans from the Lamequian tools of the Australopithecines to the Oldowan tools of Homo habilis and then the Acheulean tools of Homo erectus. The tool culture of Neanderthals was the Mousterian. It is named after a French type site, much like the Acheulean. This time, the site is called Le Moustier and can be found in the Dordogne department of France. It was first excavated in 1863 and a Neanderthal skull was discovered there in 1908. Mousterian tools have been recovered from sites across Europe to the Middle East and Northern Africa. Unlike the Acheulean tradition of manufacturing a tool from a stone core, the Mousterian tools demonstrated a technique referred to as the Levallois technique. The stone core on this occasion is prepared with hard and soft percussion. In other words, the core is worked using stone for hard percussion and bones and antlers for soft percussion. This worked stone core is then struck to produce flakes which can then be used as versatile tools. Certainly, a lot of contemplation would have had to have taken place to develop the correct size flake required, but it shows an advance in intelligence at least. So, we have established that stone tool technology had shown signs of advancement going into the age of the Neanderthals, and that these hominins were also constructing wooden spears, whether they were hand weapons or projectiles, or even both, which is questionable. However, it may have occurred to Neanderthal man that if he could combine a wooden shaft with a stone flake, then he would have made the first ever composite tool, that is, made up of two different materials. If we believe this, then we have to ask the question, how did Neanderthals actually attach the stone point to the wood handle? This question could be answered through the discovery of lumps of tar found at the Neanderthal sites of Italy and Germany. The tar is believed to have originated from the bark of the birch tree. If the bark is heated, then the tar will emanate from it. And this is likely to be how the stone flakes were stuck to the wooden shafts. Neanderthals had invented the first glue. Kebara Neanderthal. It was in 1983 that a team of archaeologists uncovered the bones of an adult Neanderthal male, which was considerably well preserved. The upper skull and legs were missing, but pretty much everything else was present. The discovery was made in the Kebara cave in Israel which we briefly mentioned in the prehistoric speech and language podcast 
due to the presence of the hyoid bone. This is the bone which is found in the larynx and is a key part of our ability to speak. The discovery was called Gibara II, or more affectionately, Moshi. Moshi would have been between 25 and 35 years old when he died. He would have probably stood at around 5 foot 7 inches tall, which is around 1.7 metres. The high amount of carbon detected in Moshi's bones suggests a very high amount of meat was part of his diet, which is supported by the weaponry and the high amount of animal bones discovered at Neanderthal sites. The animal bones discovered at Kibara show signs of careful butchery and burn marks that suggest cookery. Even though we believe that meat was a significant part of Moshi's diet, other remains suggest that a wide range of fruit and vegetables were very much a part of the diet too, and this is supported by the dentition of Moshi. Moshi had a large barrel-shaped chest compared to modern humans. This is obvious from the ribcage recovered. This is incredibly important when trying to understand the development of the respiratory system. We mentioned earlier that the Neanderthal nasal cavity had developed to be able to cope with the colder European conditions by becoming quite large and able to humidify the cool air. It was originally thought that the large chest cavity was caused by the same natural pressures, but more recently it is thought of as an earlier development, which enabled Neanderthals to migrate northwards. The fact that the hyoid bone is extremely similar to modern humans does point towards an advanced capability for speech, although there is very little else to indicate that this would genuinely be the case. Certainly, they must have had some kind of deep thought process, as even though they were showing advanced cognitive ability when producing tools for their everyday survival, Moshi was clearly deliberately buried. Neanderthals certainly held each other in high regard on an individual level. Not only is there evidence of the careful and considered burial of their dead tribal compatriots, but also there is evidence of care for injured or elderly tribe members which would otherwise have not survived. Neanderthals treated each other as family. Neanderthal Range When you look eastwards for Neanderthal presence, one site that pops up is Teshiktash Cave in modern-day Uzbekistan. This is also a very interesting site for the fact that one of the Neanderthal skeletons found at the cave was surrounded by hundreds of ibex bones which have raised many questions about Neanderthal burial culture. We know that Neanderthals took the resting of deceased colleagues seriously by burying their dead, such as at Kibara, which we previously mentioned. Do the significant amount of ibex bones surrounding the skeleton symbolise some form of ceremonial burial? In truth, it is impossible to tell, as any claim that this could be the case is easy to challenge, as some experts even question whether it was a deliberate burial or not. I would suggest that the burial of the dead was indeed a deliberate Neanderthal act, but how symbolic it was is debatable. 
Neanderthals would have been very aware that leaving a corpse to rot away in your home cave was never going to present any advantages to those still alive. So we pretty much now have the full range of the Neanderthals well covered by the discussions of this episode. From Uzbekistan in the east we can follow a line right through the Caucasus into Europe itself, across Germany, including the British Isles, down through France to Iberia and then back across through Italy, all the way to the East Mediterranean to Israel in the Levant. I have published a map to try and illustrate this visually. Summary of the Neanderthals From the information gathered in this particular podcast, the beginnings of Neanderthal culture began with the emergence in Europe of Homo heidelbergensis, which was a hominin that developed new skills and anatomy to deal with the more challenging conditions on the European continent. Homo neanderthalensis was the product of this evolution. A hominin that had developed the intelligence and skill to coexist as tribes who were devoted to each other's well-being and had developed the ability to manufacture tools of an unprecedented technological quality that they were able to hunt down and kill the largest of mammals and prepare them for consumption by skinning, butchering and cooking them. Mix this in with a diet of fruit and vegetables and Homo neanderthalensis had an advanced ability to create an extremely healthy diet rich in nutrition feeding both brain and body in their rapid impressive evolution. Neanderthal was fully evolved by three to four hundred thousand years ago and due to their success as a species were able to develop the ability to work closely within their tribes. Their throats had adapted enough to be able to vocally communicate to an advanced level but not on the level of modern humans as their hyoid bones are believed to have sat quite high in the vocal tract causing limits to their vocal range. They would have very likely had their own basic languages. There are more dating methods available to us now and especially as Neanderthal remains date to periods, some within only a few tens of thousand years into the past. We can feel confident that Neanderthals dominated Europe in their fully evolved form at least a quarter of a million years ago, which says a lot about how advanced as a species they were. If you watch the American film from 1953 titled The Neanderthal Man, it portrays a popular culture image of a Neanderthal which sees the Neanderthal himself as an out-of-control, brutish character operating purely on animal instincts alone, killing every man he comes across with his bare hands. The reality is that we now believe that Neanderthals were actually complex, comparatively intelligent and social individuals. There is a surprising lack of evidence through archaeology of brutality between individuals. Although we have reached the end of the podcast, this is certainly not the end of the story of Neanderthals. When the last populations of Neanderthals were still alive at places such as Gibraltar, which we mentioned at the very top of the podcast, they would have certainly become very acquainted with some newcomers in their range, Homo sapiens modern humans and that story is for a future podcast next time we're going to explore more closely the phenomenon of climate and take a closer look at the ice ages 
that had a vital effect on the hominin species alive and the new ones emerging. Thank you as ever for listening to the podcast. I mentioned earlier the 1953 film The Neanderthal Man. My goodness, it is fantastic. You must watch this film. It is great. It is budget B-movie stuff. It's fantastic. And it really does give you the indication of what the public really wanted the Neanderthal to be. It, it was absolutely an out-of-control, ridiculous film. And I loved it for that reason. It's fantastic. Go and watch it and see what we really wanted the Neanderthal to be like. But recent discoveries have absolutely proved that this can't be the case. To find out what happened to the Neanderthals, you, you're going to have to wait until episode 11, I think it is, when we're going to be looking more closely at when Homo sapiens entered into the European range of the Neanderthals. And I mentioned during the podcast that most sites are dated to demonstrate that the Neanderthal was around up until 30,000 years ago. Now, there is new evidence that challenges that theory, and I'm going to mention that also in episode 11. So that's going to be a very interesting bolt on to the end of this episode. So I encourage you to stick around just a couple of weeks for that one to come out. I've really had a lot of fun studying Neanderthals. They're absolutely fascinating and the advances of their technology is interesting as much as their comparison to modern humans as well. So a real fascinating animal and something that we're very closely related to. Have you got any opinion on Neanderthals? Do you think that I've summed them up nicely or do you think there's more to them than I've mentioned. If so, feel free to drop me a line. The email for the podcast is historyoftheworldpodcast at mail.com. History of the World Podcast is one word and mail is spelled M-A-I-L. Well, that's about it for now. We're going to have a special episode on the Ice Ages next week. Don't feel like it's going to be any less interesting than this episode. I've got a very interesting story to tell you about the Great Rock and the legend of the Great Rock, how local people, local tribesmen believe that it moved. And it's one of the most bizarre stories I've come across during my studies for this podcast. So join me next week for that. Thank you as ever for listening. And until... This time next week, I'll bid you a farewell. The History of the World podcast, written and presented by Chris Hasler. Please consider making a financial contribution by going to the historyoftheworldpodcast.com website and clicking on the Patreon link. Email the show at historyoftheworldpodcast at mail.com. And don't forget to join our social media at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr. See you next time.